listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. All right, welcome back to the Lead Defend podcast. This is Seth, and we have a guest co-host today. We've got Adam Venters. Woohoo. Adam, where are you serving right now, man? I'm the campus minister for the Metro BCM in Little Rock. That's right. Adam's a good friend. He's actually been on this podcast before with Ryan, and I missed out. So we're taping one without Ryan, because who needs him? So uh, he's a newlywed, so he's he's off, you know, doing, different doing vacations and things like that. So uh, we have a special guest, though. We have Todd Van Helms, and uh, Todd has written a, a great book. Todd does a lot of work in uh, colleges and seminaries. Todd is uh, talking about this book right now, though, called Before You Leave for College, Career, and Eternity. Adam, uh, I'm going to kind of let you run this. You spend a lot of time with Todd recently, and you have spent a lot of time with Todd. And uh, let's, let's just kind of hear, uh, hear about what Todd's been doing and, and how things are going in uh, the education of young adults and young minds. Yeah, well, Todd, it's great to have you on. It is great to be here. Thanks, Seth and Adam. And yeah, so we'll try to, yeah, let's jump straight into the book. Um, but before I, I think we do that, tell us just a little bit about your background. What are you doing now? And then there's a really awesome story that you have that's kind of propelled you in, you know, academia, especially when it comes to the Bible and stuff. So kind of tell us a little bit of those stories, yeah. Sinner saved by grace, married two awesome boys, a um, lot of degrees, but I have forgotten more than I've learned and yeah, whatever amen. we accomplish in life through God's grace, if we don't use it for his glory, it'll get in the way. And so a lot of that comes out in the book from my own journey and, you know, being one who was a teenager around people who love God and love me. But when I went to the University of Texas in Austin, I was eaten alive. I thought I was ready, but I realized that two of the loneliest segments of the American population are those entering college mm. or nursing homes. And we try to fit in. Yeah. And when you're sitting in a classroom with professors who know their stuff better than, sadly, many of our pastors, and I say that with all due respect, but you take a class, a philosophy class or a literature class where the text is the Bible or it's one of the textbooks, and they start throwing things at you that you've never heard, you're in trouble. And that's really kind of what happened to me and what really prompted, it was kind of the inception of the idea of this book for later. We can get into that in a minute when we get into that chapter. But really, these are things I saw my own boys start struggling with, as well as just hundreds of students that I've worked with in a variety of contexts as a youth minister, a college professor, a chaplain, a headmaster of a private school in North Carolina. Um, so I'm, I'm just pumped to be here. Thank you guys for having me. I think we're going to get into some cool stuff. We might cuss yeah. a little bit. Um, we'll get <laughs> how, there how old are your boys, by the way? Tom? So I have an 18-year-old freshman in college at Dallas Baptist University. Right. Uh, it's one of the few schools that they're actually meeting in, in person. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why he's there, which is great. And then awesome. I have an 11-year-old who thinks he's uh, 18. <laughs> They both play guitar. There's some drums in there. We try to jam. I'm the singer. Uh, not really, but um, but they're but they're great, man. So you got the hair for it. I do. He's I lying. know. He was beatboxing just a few minutes ago. I was. I was. And uh, but it, it's all good though. But I don't. I'm, I can keep up with two, but not four like Seth. So. <laughs> yeah. So um, so in your book, so you kind of tackle at least some some pretty prevalent and prominent questions regarding like the Christian faith and scriptures and those kind of things. 
but I, I think this is really good. It comes out in the book in some different places, but just hearing your story too. Um, part of writing this book is kind of reflectional of your kids and the stage of life that they're in. Tell us a little bit about that and how that's impacted some of the stories. Yeah, so the Before You Leave and the subtitle for College, Career, and Eternity, I dedicated the book to my boys and with the oldest getting ready to, he just started college, the goal was to get it done before he he went off. And so uh, much of it did stem from that. So here I am, let's back it up. Here I am, I'm 18, 19 years old, go down to Austin, Texas, 50,000 plus students, strong state, secular school, take a class, the Bible and English and American literature. I see the only textbook is the Bible. So I'm thinking, awesome, you know? So I show up the first day, this drill sergeant looking professor, flat top, chain smoker comes in, says, um, okay, all you Bible thumpers and holy rollers, if you think this is Sunday school or we're going to study God's inspired word, you're in the wrong place. And mm-hmm. if you're too scared to get up and leave now you can drop afterwards and so I really thought about it you know between classes prayed yeah. about it thought no I'm going to stand for the truth so second class period we, we come in he says all right the true believers have stayed half of you are still here he said obviously first meeting I kind of shared a low view of scripture even though I respected his literature would anyone like to share their view of scripture so of course I raised my hand go to Wanna boy uh, and said all scriptures God breathed, it's profitable for, it's useful for correction, teaching us right from wrong, you know, all that. He says, ah, oh, well, who wrote that? Apostle Paul. He said, ah, so you're using the, the scriptures to defend the scriptures. Yes. Who did he write that to? Said a young disciple named Timothy. Wow, someone paid attention in Sunday school. He said, when did he write it? I said, I have no idea. He said, that's my problem. You took that passage out of context most of the New Testament had not been written yet. When Paul said all scriptures God be- yeah. breathed, he was referring to the Old Testament scriptures mm-hmm. as well as the scriptures that were available then. He said, and you should think as a Christian all scriptures God breathed, but that's just one little mistake that you've made. He said, so you come in here sharing scripture out of context. Your goal is going to be convert, convert me before the end of the semester if you're brave enough. But the reality is, he said, I see this semester after semester Christians say that the Bible is inspired by God. It's the guide to their life, you know, the map, the road, the roadmap to life, and yet they've never read it cover to cover. Yeah. I remember R.C. Sproul, God yeah. bless him, died a couple years ago, maybe a year ago, and, and I remember him, a statistic, he said maybe 75 to 80% of Christians have never read the Bible cover to cover. Yeah. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I was one of those Christians as well in college. Yeah. And so he said, if you're going to be a Christian, then be a good one. Know what you believe, why you believe it. Can you defend it? Can you do so in a winsome way? If you're going to be an atheist, how did you arrive at that belief system? And can you defend it? And can you share that? Or is it just a cop-out excuse that you use? So the first part of the book is really establishing the scriptures as authoritative, divinely inspired. But yet, what about problematic passages? Paul mentions himself a couple of um, instances of letters that he wrote that are not in the scriptures. Yeah. Well, were those not divinely inspired? Mm -hmm. Why does the Catholic Bible have the Apocrypha written during the intertestamental period between the old and the new? Is there any historical value there? That was the first time I'd ever heard of it before. And I thought, well, wait a minute. I was cool to memorize 66 growing up. (laughs) And now there's 14 more. What's this? So thinking through that, but I think through textual criticism, yeah. You know, a big and, thing that they'll... And, and what is that, real quick? Tell us yeah. about textual criticism. It's basically a science or art to where you... Because in the case of the scriptures, we, in, in other letters of antiquity, ancient writings, mm-hmm. we don't have the autographs, which are the original writings. In other mm-hmm. words, we don't have Paul's letters. And the first time I heard that, I thought, 
well, what do you mean we don't have them? Does that mean we don't know what it really said? Yes. Well, through textual yeah. criticism, we take the ancient manuscripts and we can see any time a scribe or copyist inserted something yeah. and they attestate um, the, 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 I'm stuttering here, yeah, no. but the attestation, attestation of um, the scriptures, it's overwhelming compared to the rest in terms of how valid that it really is. Yeah. There's nothing oh, yeah, in antiquity yeah. that's even close. We have nearly 6,000 New Testament manuscripts, whereas there might only be a handful of copies of something to do with Homer or, or others like that. For sure. But we, so we may not have the original original writings, in other words, the autographs, but we have the original words. And even someone like Bard Ehrman, who's who's a skeptic but a scholar, would would tell you that. Uh, yeah. Studied under Bruce Metzger at Princeton, he was the lead New, New Testament scholar. Um, he knew that well too. And anyone, um, I mean, no credible historian of antiquity will deny that what we have is valid mm-hmm. and that and that what we have is a historical figure named Jesus who had a following and was killed by crucifixion really did live. Yeah. And what I look at in this book and the whole, you know, the, the I guess the silver lining of the thread throughout is the fact that how can we explain how someone who was born of a teenager, unwed, right, mm-hmm. the Virgin Mary, who grew up in an obscure town amid an empire, that should have stopped its inception, certainly its continuation, ended up blossoming amid the persecution, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, to become the most powerful religion in the world. No, I, I like this, and uh, something, uh, it's kind of, we'll have to backtrack just a yeah. little bit to kind of pick it up, but I think this is really good. But it's the idea, uh, a little bit of, so when you were sitting in the class with a professor, mm-hmm. and he brings up criticism to the Bible, right? and, and I think for most for most people, at least for me and some, you know, times in my life, it was because I never really asked that many critical questions of the Bible mm-hmm. when somebody else did, and then it did not conform to the understanding that right. it's kind of like you go into peril a little bit. You know what I'm yeah, you don't about? think there are safe spaces. If you're in the youth group and active, yeah. maybe the son or daughter of a minister, the last you're the last one that wants to speak up because it's like, hey, what's wrong with Sally's faith? Why is she questioning the authority of Scripture? And that stuff goes on, so you don't know who to ask, mm-hmm. and you're not getting the answers in that yeah. classroom, right? But then when I would go home to the well-meaning people in my life, life that loved God and loved me. And I asked the question of the things I learned in the class and I would get one of several answers. They'd say, oh, you need to stay away from that professor. He doesn't know the author of the Bible or the devil's behind it. Or worse than that, they'd say, I don't know. I've never heard of that before. Yeah. And then I thought, oh my God, I have been duped. What else did you not tell me? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. My, I was, I was like awakened, thankfully to the idea of, of textual criticism and, and of, uh, you know, I guess the understanding that we don't have the you know exact original manuscripts by my youth pastor, right? And and thankfully, that's I'm, awesome. It was awesome that's because so rare because he could then coach us through an understanding yes. of it. But yes. um, we we uh, we do. I mean, really appreciate the fact that we have this platform where we can talk to some of these young adults yeah. and these high school students about this right now. Yeah. Yes. And one of the other questions, and you talk about this in the opening uh, chapter with when it comes to the Bible. And I think this is a great kind of segue to talk about this, but also kind of venture into the next chapter. Uh, but it's the word logos and how mm-hmm. that connects to Christ. Yeah. And on some level, how our understanding of logos is a bridge that can bear the weight of any criticism that we have towards the Bible. Absolutely. And so kind of, yeah, share with that yeah. kind of what you do with the the book. Yeah. and Yeah. Christ, the Logos, the incarnate Word of God to which the Scriptures bear witness. He is central to Christianity, to our existence. He is the creator, the sustainer of the universe. All things are made by Him and through Him, as Colossians tells us. 
And, and we just see that. He holds it all together. And so if you want to know Christ, you, the best way to do that is through the scriptures yes. that yeah, bear yeah. witness to him. So if, you, if God seems distant, far away, you don't understand the Jesus of the culture, which how could you? You need to be in the scriptures. You need to be in the word of God. And that's one thing I really emphasize again and again in, in this book is that um, you've got to meet God in his word. You've got to be in the word of God. Yeah. You, parents, your kids need to see you're reading the word of God. They need yeah. to know that it's a priority in your life because let's face it, we're not expecting them to, you know, to read or study it. And I think what happens is a lot of times in youth groups that it can be topical in terms of our lessons yeah. and that. And, you know, I, I don't know about you guys, but my first degree was an MA and I took the path of least resistance because I thought doctrine and languages and things like that, that's for the theologians and the, and the ministers, you know, the, the senior pastors and so, therefore, I could only teach what I had learned, could only give. And thank God you mentioned that youth minister that was mm-hmm. going through this stuff yeah. with you as a teenager, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But I'll be honest, I didn't know as much as I should have at that time. I, I, you know, I, I realized, for me, in me in particular, I needed the MDiv. I needed more. And I'm not saying this is for everyone, but the bottom line is if, 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 we're, going, if we're called and the people that are entrusted to our care, our own kids and other people's kids— it should be our priority to make the scriptures supreme in our life. We should be more in love with God's word than any other book. Yeah. You know, how often do we read two or three other yeah. secondary sources or books and we're not in the word of God? And guess what? Our kids know it and they see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it, even, yeah. I mean, I find myself encouraging college students too with sometimes we don't read the Bible because we don't always understand it. Right. Um, and there's a lot of process to that. And I think there's certain books that are a little bit more applicable and easier to read than the others, but because of the nature of what the Bible represents, what it stands for. And I think Mm -hmm. what you do a really good job in the book of kind of capturing is the logos, the word of God is it's God's word. Right. So if you were to ever struggle through something in order to try to seek clarity for it and from it, the Bible is that place. Like the more you struggle with it, the more you're going to reap the benefits of the Bible. And right. it's something that's timeless in its it nature. Is, you know, that's exactly right. So the uh, Holy Spirit speaks to us through the word of God. It's why you can read something. You remember reading it, but then you read the same passage again and it's like, it just hits you and you're like, it's exactly what I need to hear. I didn't see that before. It's because yeah. it's the living Word of yeah. God. Yeah. God and, speaks through his word, his living word. And so let's kind of jump. So the second chapter kind of talks about rejecting God. Yep. And um, there's a lot to say in the terms of atheism and all that kind of stuff. But I think you do a good job of talking about like a new type of atheism mm-hmm. that's really just like a skepticism or it's a religious secularism sure. in that. And kind of, yeah, explain kind of what you, you, you define those in the book. Yeah. Um, but just kind of practically talk us through what sure. that looks like. And even when you're out talking to students and people, how you can just kind of tell when they're starting to drift towards those particular things. Yeah, I was the chaplain at a uh, private school, and the first day, first week, I guess it was on the job, I had a student come up to me and said, you're the chaplain. I said, yeah. He said, well, I'm an atheist. And I said, great. I want to learn more about you and how you arrived at that belief system. And he said, belief system? And I said, yeah, what have you read? I mean, and what I, what I found out with him was that his parents were atheists. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for most people, it's one of several things. Either you did not, you grow up around people who also do not believe in God, or some people choose to be atheist and pretty outspoken or adamant about it because of the people who do believe in God. It was this negative, non-biblical view of Jesus or of Christianity, and they were pushed away. 
And it's sad, but that's the truth, right? You hear people say, "Oh, we're the, as Christians, we're the, you know, we we know we're the body of Christ. We're Christ's ambassadors." Well, how how well are we representing Him? How well are we loving people who don't know Christ, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so oh, I get yeah. into that, and I give a lot of these historical examples of some of the most outspoken, whether it's Huxley or Nietzsche or um, the, these modern atheists known as the new atheists. Well, atheism is not new, but there's yeah. a new form of it that's very aggressive. It's evangelistic, if that makes sense. They yeah. want converts. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they're writing a lot of best-selling books that people just gobble up. Mm-hmm. But the problem is, um, if you ask me to start explaining you know, microbiology or something that I really don't know much about, that's a lot of what's happening with a lot of these new atheist theologians yeah. that you can, you know, the comments they make in the, you know, the commentary on scripture is anyone that's read it, you realize that's, that's not accurate or biblical or whatever, but most of the general populace don't know that. Yeah. And for a teenager, it's kind of the cool thing, right? If you rebel, yeah. it's like, I, I may be an atheist. And you're like, oh, what's wrong with Jimmy? And all of a sudden, everyone's hovering around Jimmy and trying to help Jimmy. And do, and we should, right? But sometimes they're just attention-seeking. So you see that. Um, but then, you know, another chapter in the book is about eternity and is based on the Bible, there's one of two eternal destinations. Well, the concept of hell, whatever that is, is yeah. separation from God and being eternal you know, if people don't believe in the Bible, they're definitely not going to believe in that, and they're going to have a problem with people who do. And I'll never yeah. forget when Jerry Falwell Sr. died, and on CNN, um, the, the commentator asked, he said, well, so what do you think about Jerry, Jerry Falwell dying, and uh, do you think that uh, if he was, if there is a heaven, would he be there? And he said, absolutely not, and I wish there was a hell that he'd go to. But this guy was really upset that this idea of heaven or hell. Mm -hmm. So for atheists, I mean, if you don't believe that there is a God who created us in his image and knows each one of us intimately, right, then we are just the product of chance and these molecules that just somehow randomly selected in natural selection and things happen like that. And there it is. So if there's no soul, Mm -hmm. then is, is human, are we that valued? Right? Yeah. I mean, really, so euthanasia, in other words, assisted yeah. suicide that's prominent in Europe, or abortion, um, or all the things that would decrease life in that. For Christians, we're really bothered because we cherish life knowing that it's God created each one of us in his image, but the true atheist doesn't believe that. Mm-hmm. And it's important to understand not just in, the, in the, the view of life and death, but how we then operate within the worldview of those lenses of believing that there is no God, mm-hmm. because then who determines morality? Yeah. Right from wrong. And that's why truth is relative and all that stuff's going on. And people for say sure. that yeah, it yeah. works for you, not for me, this, that, whatever. Well, it's kind of like how you were saying earlier, right? Christians aren't growing up knowing what they believe. Yes. We're seeing a, a group of atheists who, who have never thought, because they're not truly atheists, as you're saying, mm-hmm. but they've never really thought uh, about the flaws in their belief system. Exactly. They just are looking at the flaws in Christianity. Right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And I think it's important, and I'll we can move on to the segue yeah. to the next chapter, but we need to know what we believe and why, but we need to know, don't just go on the hearsay what we think or assume others don't believe about God or the Bible, but I think if you meet people where they are, I mean, let's face it, for some of the most outspoken, like, genuine atheists that I've met and I've known and I love, right? Yeah. Creating God's image yeah. and... Um, if I had to base my faith in Christ based on their their view of God, their testimony, I'd have a hard time believing too. Yes. But then the ones I've seen that have gone from atheism to agnostic, which was the student I mentioned at that school, by his senior year he says I'm agnostic, and I tell the story in the book. I said, why? Why did you go from being an atheist to an agnostic? He said, because it was easy to dismiss or discount all the friends around me that were living two lives, that were going to youth group or young life or 
whatever they were doing. And then they would be at the party on the weekend with me. And I'm like, why waste my time? He said, but for those few Christian classmates and these professors, what they were saying and how they were living matched up. And it was consistent and mm. it was compelling and it made me more curious. And then I read St. Augustine's Confessions and others that were transparent about the faith and the journey. And I'm in an environment where I can ask questions and express the doubts and not be judged and can work through it to arrive at the conclusion, wherever the evidence yeah. leads me, that's what it's about. Yeah. And that's what we've got to do. Yeah. Because yeah, very few people yeah. are ever going to convert to Christianity no. because of logic. Or your argument. Oh, yeah. Right. You're not going to argue them in the, No, in the- <laughs> no. But, but your, your, your logic, your argument will have some validity to them. If your life Absolutely. is loving towards that's them. That's exactly right. You know, yeah. I mean, we treat atheists like they're the enemy. Right. And that's never been what 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 how Christianity's supposed to react to people around them. No. Yeah. Like we are to love them and to and to tell them the truth. But man, like our life's apologetic is far stronger than Absolutely. Our your life should be a living sermon. Yeah. And if it is, what is it saying? For sure. What's yeah. it conveying? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's really so, good. All right. Thank you for joining us for this episode with Todd Van Helms. All right. We will uh, come back next episode with the rest of our conversation with Todd. But uh, we want to remind you to tune in to the Lead Defend podcast regularly. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app. And make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.